These are the extraordinary tales of those who put everything on the line to succeed. This is The Adventurers with me, Sam Cowan. Claire Vale has the biggest personal garage I have ever seen. She and her husband Don run a trucking business behind an unassuming wall in a quiet street in Benoni. I went there to meet her, and as I drove up, I saw row upon row of trucks standing in the sun, waiting to be picked up or dropped off. Very ordinary, very industrial. Before we sat down together, I asked if I could see the cars. There was absolutely no hint outside in the sun of what I'd find behind the workshop doors. A complete treasure trove of racing cars, standing silently under their dust sheets, waiting for the next race. That's because Claire is the generally acknowledged first lady of motorsport in South Africa and has been for almost a decade first on the circuit and now in the world of drifting. So tell me about them. Yeah, they've got, definitely got personalities. <laughs> um, the, the cars that we've got at the moment, uh, the one car is a, a Porsche 917 that races in historics. That car I haven't raced for a while. Um, as we've sort of moved away from the circuit racing a little bit, we've moved even further away from historics, which is, um, you know, the historics is, is great, but it's quite time-consuming to prepare that car and, and race that one as well. So we've kind of put it aside. It's a very beautiful car. Um, it's wonderful to drive very fast. Um, you know, when they were built in the 70s, they were way ahead of their time. Uh, so it's a privilege to drive a car like that. But um, so she's just basically standing there under her dust cover waiting until we dust off and take her out again. But she's very beautiful. Um, not that temperamental, surprisingly. <laughs> um, out of all the cars, probably the least temperamental. And as I say, she's a real um, a star of the show. People love that car. You know, she's always had a huge following and, and people would love to see the car back in action. Um, then I've got my V8 Mustang. Uh, which is the West Bank. Everyone calls them West Banks. The series was a... It's a legendary series that ran for almost 30 years. Um, they, they were always the fastest, the fastest, the loudest, the wildest circuit racing class. Uh, it used to be modified, then became West Bank V8s, and then it moved on to be calling, being called West, uh, V8 Supercars. Um, and that car will always have a very special place in my heart. Um, at the time, I was the first woman to drive in the class, um, first time, the first woman on pole, first female driver on the podium. So we had a lot of firsts, and it was always a, a big challenge when I started in that class. I had to prove myself all over again. But, um, you know, the rewards from that have, were so wonderful, you know, because it was such a, they're such macho cars. You know, they're very visceral, loud, and... Uh, a big teenager. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, they're, they're wild cars, they're wonderful cars. Those are from her circuit racing days. The drifters are quite different. They have to be. So we've got the two cars for drifting. The one is also a Mustang. I love my V8s. Um, V8s are very special. They, they get under your skin. Um, they're a little bit old school, perhaps. You know, they're not as high-tech as, as modern cars, but you've heard how they sound. Mm. They, 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 they have a persona all of their own. And so the Mustang drift car is still my favourite drift car. <laughs> um, we walked quite a hard path with that car because when we started drifting, we didn't know how to build a drift car. Mm. So we built a race car and expected it to drift. And it, it really didn't work very well. So Why not? What do the differences have to be? Because um, from the outside, they, yeah, they look similar. very similar, yeah. yes. Um, 
you know, if you, if you think about what a, a race car does and what a drift car does, they're so different. You know, a race car, um, it goes around corners very fast, uh, it goes in a straight line very fast, it stops very fast. Um, but if you, if you slide around corners, it's much slower. So in a race car, you're aiming to get as much grip as you can. Uh, you don't want to, to slide, you don't want the back to come out. Um, and we, we built, basically that's what we did. We built a car that would have been a good race car, but it wouldn't drift because we didn't have enough steering angle, um, the, the weight was wrong, the ratios were wrong, everything was wrong. So we, we had about a two-year learning curve in that car. And you know, in that two years, we had lots of crashes. We, we really didn't do a very good job of drifting at all. <laughs> is not your average racing car driver. For a start, she's a gorgeous blonde with a killer figure. She's slightly over 50 and very softly spoken. Is that sexist? Yes, probably, but it's also a reality. And for me, who isn't a big fan of motorsport, she was a surprise. And for a lot of my friends who are crazy Grand Prix fans, she was as much of an anomaly for them. She was the first lady to race in the National Westbank Supercar Series, the first to have a podium finish in the history of the series at the historic East London Grand Prix. And it all started out with a collection of toy cars. I always loved cars. Uh, when I grew up, I, was, I was, had the biggest collection of matchbox cars and that sort of thing. So I always loved cars. Um, but I never really imagined that I'd be able to race. It was a great dream, but really not something I thought would ever happen. Um, you know, normally when you, when you start off in a racing family, then it's great because you start off in carts and you go through the whole thing. And that, that's a great advantage. But my family wasn't really into racing and it wasn't an option for us. Um, having said that, of course, it must be in the genes because my great uncle, who's still my biggest inspiration, uh, he won the 1924 Le Mans 24-hour race in a Bentley. Claire got her start on the competitive circuit relatively late in life. She was in her early 40s when she decided to turn her love for driving and cars into something a bit more tangible. It was, it was actually a specific trigger in, in my case because I went to Kyle Army and I did a BMW advanced driving course. And um, I, I'd never been on a racetrack before. I'd never raced anything. I'd never done anything like that. Um, and it was just a revelation because I, I absolutely loved every moment. And I was the, the, probably the quickest driver on the day, which was also an eye-opener, you know. And um, the instructor I had on the day was a guy called... Um, <coughs> I the guy, the driver who, my instructor was actually a multiple champion himself. Oh, wow. And he encouraged me, he pushed me, he said, come on, don't drive like Miss Daisy. You know, push it, go harder, go faster. And eventually I said to him at the end of the day, I said, well, do you think I could be a racing driver? And he said, uh, well, it would take a lot of practice. <laughs> so, so that, you know, to my mind, that wasn't a no, forget about it, it can't be done. I thought, Hang on. <laughs> and that was actually the trigger. You know, from that day, I actually decided, you know what, I really want to give this a try. From I wish I could to maybe I can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely. Uh, look, I had a different idea of the level where I wanted to race. I wanted to start off and go and race an old historic car and a little bit of club racing, that kind of thing. So uh, even then I had no idea I'd end up doing national racing. But uh, yet the idea, the seed was planted and it just kept on growing from there. Drifting is difficult to explain to someone who's never seen it or heard of it. Me, for example. Before I went to see Claire, I asked some of our sports reporters to explain it to me. Have you watched The Fast and the Furious? Asked one impatiently. Because if you haven't, then just do that. Then you'll get it. 
I didn't really get it, nor why Vin Diesel has to wear a vest in every single movie, but what I did get is that it's the fastest growing motorsport in the world. It started in Japan. Uh, they started doing it on the, on the open roads, mm-hmm. on the mountain passes. You know, obviously it, it, people started going sideways, perhaps not by design, and then they figured out, well, this is a lot of fun, and then the idea is to actually go sideways around every corner as much as you can, and that's how it all started. It was a street sport, you know, Fast and the Furious. You know, I think that's where most people have seen drifting. Um, and from there, it actually developed into the fastest-growing motorsport in the world. Do you think that's because of the Fast and the Furious? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that, that helped. I think... Um, I think it's it's very much got an image as an extreme sport. Uh, it's a culture, you know. It's got a whole culture that goes with it, which is a little bit different to traditional motorsport. So then, take me through your mental journey from traditional motorsport, <laughs> from circuit racing, to doing to taking on Vin Diesel. <laughs> well, from doing something that to me looks absolutely terrifying. I know we're coming from different places, yes. but circuit racing, I get my head around. Yes, it's almost like going on a highway. Yes. This is just going very hard up a big yeah. hill, even though I know that's not what it is. Yeah, drifting's insane. It's completely different. Um, and the rules are quite different, too. You Stay know, alive. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have as much fun as you can as well. Um, uh, obviously, with normal circuit racing, you, know, you, you race against the clock and the fastest person wins, basically, fundamentally. You know, there are many other things that happen on the way, protests and this and that and the other, but basically, the first person to the flag is the winner. Um, drifting's judged completely differently. It's a judge sport. Um, that obviously has its pros and cons. Um, basically, it's judged on speed, angle, which is the, the degree of sideways that you can maintain, um, and uh, style. So lots of smoke, lots of excitement, lots of flair. I suppose, in a way, it's like the gymnastics of motorsport, you could say. So you know, it's judged in a completely different way. Speed is a factor, but it's, it's not that you have to be the fastest. It's got to be combined with the angle, the flair, uh, and accuracy, because you've got clipping points, so you have to get very close to them but not actually hit them. So it's extremely skillful, very precise, and at the same time completely wild and um, out of control but in control. I couldn't see how this wasn't terrifying. Even in Claire's soft voice, the idea of oversteering on purpose and clipping and overcorrecting reminded me of every nightmare my first driving instructor wanted me to have about dangerous driving. How could she not be scared? How could her family not be scared for her? Look, I've got a son, Dirk. Um, he's been involved in the racing since I started. He does a lot of the PR and that sort of thing. So I think um, more than anything, he's probably quite proud of what I do. Um, it's also very annoying because it intrudes in our lives to a great extent, so it's not always a plus. And, you know, that is a... You know, because racing is a hell of a commitment. You know, you, you travel a lot in the calendar, rules, everything. So, but all in all, he's extremely positive, I think. You can ask him, too, if you like. <laughs> Do you ever get scared? No, not scared, no. Um, perhaps frustrated, like, for example, again, going back to Port Elizabeth, which was the last event we did... Um, my Mustang is a little bit different to the other cars. It's got what you call a live axle instead of an independent rear suspension. And it, it's very difficult to make it do little shallow fast switches. And in Port Elizabeth, there was a very critical little shallow switch in the middle of the track. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was, you know, that was 
anxiety causing for me because I really had to, to wrestle with it for the whole of Friday and then my clutch packed up too so I didn't get much practice. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to actually try and get your head around how to make your car do something that actually it really doesn't want to do. And so that was quite stressful but it's not, I'm not afraid, no. Um, you know, the race cars are far safer than road cars, I find, you know, because you know, okay, we've got other variables, but you don't have pedestrians and random taxis and, you know, um, hooligan golfs. And, you know, <laughs> you know, everybody at least is on the same track and heading in the same direction and more or less, you know, with the same goal. So in that way, it, it's actually much safer. And the cars are so much safer. You know, the cars have got roll cages. You know, there's just... They're set up for that sort of thing. So you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're using an instrument that's actually designed for it. As Claire says, you can't control what you can't control. And even she has crashed many times. I think the first time was back in a Shelby Canem at Kisa, perhaps. Um, and that wasn't really my fault. Somebody came too, too fast behind me and they actually went over the top of my car. But yeah, no, it was... I, th- I think I was more angry than anything else at the time, you know, because you're like, oh, you know, my race is actually ruined. So, no, I've had a few. I've had, I've never really been hurt. I hurt my wrist a little bit once and, you know, a few odds and ends. But as I say, the cars are very safe and it's never put me off. Really? Mm-mm. So the next time you got back in after that, you weren't... No, no really? problem at all, no. no. It's, it's funny, you just, you don't actually... I think, you know, I think if you, if you think about crashing, you shouldn't drive. I think then it's, mm. it would be, you'd be dangerous, in fact. What struck me over and over was how calm Claire was. She talked about powerful cars and crashing and speed and heat in the same matter-of-fact way I'd read off a shopping list. She wasn't afraid of anything except fire, because fire can be fast and cause a lot of damage to car and driver. And in her world, one doesn't work without the other. How much would you say is you and how much would you say is the car? Because obviously without you, the car is just a car sitting, yeah. under, sitting under a dust sheet. I think, I think, well, certainly in drifting, I think a lot of it is the driver. Mm-hmm. I think it is because, um, I mean, like I know in the case of my car, my car is still not really an ideal drift car. So I've had to learn all sorts of tricks to make it drift. And um, so, you know, you, you become better because you're doing all these things. You, you know, you drive around a lot of problems a lot of the time. So I think... Certainly in drifting, the driver's critical. Obviously, the better the car, the better you do. Um, you know, the people who have, who have the funds and the sponsors to build better cars will do better overall than... I mean, we've got huge talent in drifting. You know, we've got some guys from Cape Town who are outstandingly talented, but they have hardly any budget. Budget's a big thing. Motorsport is not cheap, no matter what form it takes. Circuit drifting, rallying, things can break and go wrong. And even when they don't, race day is expensive, not just in terms of money, but in time and effort, a lot of which starts days before the actual event. So, yeah, we load the truck and everything on Wednesday, which takes half a day. Really? <laughs> tires, many tires. <laughs> How yeah. many tires? Um, on a drift weekend, we probably use, I don't know, anything from 12 tires, perhaps. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I use a lot of tyres in drifting. It's our biggest expense in travel. Yeah. So you load everything up and hit the road, get to the track probably on Thursday. Uh, then you have to set everything up, which is, is quite a time-consuming process too, especially when you have sponsors because you the show is as important as the go. You have to always have a, a great presence in the pits. And it takes a bit of time, so you set up everything, gazebos and... 
and they set up the pits. Um, Friday, normally by about midday, you can start open practice, and then you have some time on the track. PE, for example, it doesn't always go according to plan. You know, we had about perhaps 20 minutes of practice and the touch packed mm. up. And so we, were, we spent most of Friday afternoon fixing that. And I think I probably got about another 20 minutes at the end of the day. <laughs> so as I say, it doesn't always go, you have great plans, but they don't always work out. So, so Friday night, you know, we were quite concerned because we really hadn't got the car that sorted for this little switch that it doesn't like. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we talked about it and we made some changes to the setup on Saturday morning. Uh, and Saturday morning, the car was much better. We actually got it pretty dialed. Um, the challenges with the, sur- the surface on the track were still the same. It was very slippy in some places and very abrasive in others. And, but every, you know, that, that's the same for everybody. You know, everybody had to overcome that problem. Um, in, in drifting, what you do is you first have qualifying where you have two runs and the best run is the one that you're scored on. Uh, If you put a wheel off the track, two wheels off the track or uh, drop kick one of the clipping points, you get a zero for your run. Drifting is quite strict in that way. If you get a zero, you get a zero, that's it. Um, So we we had a reasonable couple of qualifying runs. Um, We thought they were quite nice runs but here again with drifting is the challenge it's a judge sport and the judges don't always agree with what you think and it's something you have to learn to live with <laughs> um, you know I so say we actually thought we'd done quite a good qualifying run mm. but the judges gave us a lower score than we expected but I say you have to sometimes it's you know, other, sometimes somebody else feels like that sometimes it's your turn it's just the, it's like gymnastics once again you know, sometimes you'll get a 10 and Sometimes you'll get a five, even if you think you've got a ten. <laughs> and, you, you know, you have to live with that. I asked her, as I have many of these adventurers, if money was no object, what her dream race would be. Dakar. Really? <laughs> I think Dakar. You know, uh, I, did, I did drive a, an off-road truck for a, a test, a Nissan Navara, and it was the most incredible experience. So I think if I had a chance to do one event, you know, no expense spared, I think that must be the ultimate to do. That, that is really spectacular. That's a proper challenge um, of man and machine, or woman and machine. Um, that must be the ultimate, I think. And, of course, an, a, an event like Le Mans, 24-hour Le Mans. I think you could do it. Le Mans? Hmm? Um, I think anybody can do it. Whether you'd be, I mean, you, you, know, you can do it at different levels, you know, I mean, just to complete these races. But then again, it's a team sport, really, something like Le Mans, you know, because... Um, so much depends on the car if you finish you know to, to make any car uh, run for 24 hours is, is a huge achievement it's a feat yeah. yes. the same with Dakar you know where you have to run for two weeks over all terrain temperatures altitude you know so I think those kind of events those marathon type of events are definitely team sports um, so you can say it's impossible to say whether you could do it or not because again you know, you could certainly get there and do it, and then it's an adventure. You know, whatever you'd have to wait and so overcome whatever comes your way. <laughs> Pardon? So Dakar could be on the cards. I think I'm probably too old for Dakar. I don't think I'll get the chance. <laughs> it's too expensive, you know. It's millions, millions. So, but I mean, that's a dream, perhaps. 
perhaps it is just a dream, but I don't think so. As I drove away from the premises, I looked back to see her and Don standing together. Her all blonde curls and determination and filled with possibility, and him like a guest star on Sons of Anarchy, her perfect backup, knowledgeable and driven and supportive, and I thought, that's an unstoppable collaboration. And I don't think she realizes how far she's come or how far she's going to go, not consciously, but her spirit knows. I think people are too quick to limit themselves. Um, I see it often in, in older people, for example, where they get to a certain age and they think, OK, well, you know, nothing new is going to come my way now, so I'll just kind of settle down and you know, enjoy gardening. or Tiena Sedinga. Yeah. And I, I think you, you shouldn't limit yourself like that. I think you know, life's an adventure from the cradle to the grave, really, isn't it? Um, if, if, you can, if you can actually allow yourself to see beyond what society thinks you should be doing, then you can do so much more. Um, and whether, you know, it, I'm not talking about sport only, you, you can make a difference in so many things. You know, if you can volunteer to do something, you know, you can get involved in schools, children. Uh, there's just so many opportunities. You never, ever actually have to limit yourself. I, I know a lot of people who, who've made their life so small, you know. They get, they get to a point and they say, well, all right, now I'll just have a cat. <laughs> Um, maybe have tea with my friends on Wednesday um, and visit the grandchildren on Sunday. No. But you don't have to be like that. You know, there's... I think you must always have something to look forward to and that, that's what works for me. I find with motorsport... In fact, my whole life, I've always found something to look forward to and I think that's, that's the secret. You know, you, you, you have to look forward and find something to look forward to and if you can do that, then... I think your life can be so much more rewarding. Claire believes in giving back wherever possible and she organises an annual charity karting day for the Anne van Dyke Cheetah Centre. If you'd like to know more, you can find information on her website, clairevale.com. I'm Sam Cowan and I hope you've enjoyed this incredible story. To see pictures and videos of Claire tearing up the track, visit The Adventurers on the 702 or Cape Talk websites. You can also subscribe to the series to have the podcast automatically download to your listening device.